I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. The Telegraph. Telegraph. Podcasts. Hello and welcome to Brian Moore's Full Contact with The Telegraph. Well, the 2021 Automation Series is now in the history books and what a final round of matches we saw over the weekend a clean sweep for the Northern Hemisphere sides or the Southern Hemisphere rivals who will now return home after a long, long and at times challenging 12 weeks on tour. England gained revenge over World Cup champion South Africa with a one-point win over the Springboks at Twickenham. Marcus Smith was one of many standout players on the field. The 22-year-old was flawless from the tee all day and showed his nerves of steel to slot the match-winning penalty with just a minute to spare. We'll be looking back at that win for England and where it ranks among Eddie Jones' finest with the Telegraph's Charlie Morgan, who was at Twickenham on Saturday and I think has been to Eddie Jones' press conference this morning as well. France, what about France? They laid down a serious marker on Saturday night, thrashing the All Blacks in Paris. The match had been billed as a shootout between two of the favourites for the 2023 World Cup, but as it turned out, the French were quite comfortable winners and they looked well and truly back to their best. We'll be speaking to their former international fly-half, Thomas Castagnier, about the ceiling. Well, is there a ceiling for this current side? There are also wins for Scotland and Ireland, and Wales will left it very late to see off 14-man Australia at the Millennium Stadium, and will assess the state of all three sides ahead of this year's Six Nations, which, frankly, should be one of the better ones. Thank you. Elsewhere, England women made it four wins from four, thrashing the USA on Sunday. The result caps off a perfect month for the Red Roses, we saw off all their nearest challenges with ease to firmly establish themselves as the world's best side. We'll assess their chances at next year's World Cup and ask what, if anything, can be done to stop them lifting the trophy. Delighted to say that we've got specialist help on the Red Roses front and on the wider rugby front because my co-host today is the England World Cup winner, Rachel Burford. Hello, Rachel. Hello, how are you? I'm all right. Uh, thrilling test match at Twickenham at times. Um, were you there? Yes, I was fortunate to be there. (laughs) (laughs) What do you make of it? Do you know what? I think overall, I think it was a really exciting game. I think we got two different halves, didn't we? The first half where England were absolutely dominant um, in all areas, really had a real statement of intent about how they wanted to play. And they set that stall out really early. And I think that is what then propelled them on 
throughout that game. You know, going for the corner for the pen off the penalty, not just going for three points, yep. asking for another scrum again. Like their intent and their intentions were set right from the start, and it was just a fantastic test match. I think you know, obviously South Africa came back in the second half, caused a lot of problems, and you kind of thought, oh, here we go, we know how this is going to. There end. was an air of inevitability, wasn't it? I was saying to the person next to me from Queens, I was saying. It's just got this written all over it, hasn't it? You know, the, the box is going to win by kicking penalties again. England will outscore them to tries. And they'll say quite rightly, it doesn't matter how many tries you score. It's, it's the points on the scoreboard. But frankly, I'm getting pretty sick of seeing sides just kick the ball in the air, sneak penalties and win. And it didn't happen like that um, because they managed to withstand some quite a quite heavy onslaught of physical pressure, especially from the bench. Now, um, what did you expect that to happen? Because I didn't. No, I think when you started to see that kind of rumble of South Africa in that second half, like you say, you thought, right, this is how it's gonna it's gonna turn. But I just think there's there's different when you've got so many young players playing against such a big side, world champions, we know what happened last time. When you've got new blood in there, there's a different psyche. There's almost like there's no preconceived of how this is going to go. Yep. Um, and it's a little bit like that with England women as well. They've got young girls who played against Black Ferns. There's no preconceived. And I think we saw an element of that in, right. the, in the game. And I think that that counted in that second half. Yeah, that's interesting. I hadn't considered that as fully as I might. Uh, I was just more focusing on the fact that players like Bevan, Rob, Nick Dolly and so on, you know, they're 19, 20, 21, 22. And... In the front row, you simply are not as powerful as you're going to be 10 years later. And it's very difficult, no matter how talented you are, to, to stave off a physical challenge from, from very experienced players. And I, I didn't expect that. And I also, mm. I mean, people say, well, look, they're lucky. There were only six scrums during the game. Yeah, they were lucky. But that's a game. You know, some, some, well, you might as well say uh, South Africa were lucky. In the World Cup final, there were more scrums. It means a pointless, pointless <laughs> thing to say. Eddie, Eddie Jones, I don't know when we'll find out from Charlie what he's been saying, but where do you think this comes in in his um, in in his particular rank of results with England? I think it's got to be up there, hasn't it? I think the I think the biggest talking point for an England game has been that semi final against New Zealand, and then we haven't seen a great display since then, or yeah. kind of like that magnitude. And I think you know going up against the world champions, last fixture at home, lots of chat in the week about this inexperienced, as you mentioned, you know not necessarily dominant pack. They're going to you know be against the monstrous South African pack. There was all this talk about how this team wasn't going to be able to function. So when you like feel like you got your back up against the wall, you're at home, it's your last game. I think this has to be up there with one of the, the best results for, yeah. for an England side. With all the new blood, the the experience, you know, losing so many key players, Jamie George, Farrell, um, Cowan Dickey, to not even being involved, I think it's a real big statement. I think I put it in, I won't put it as one result, I put it as as the, this series. I think this series has been very important for him to re-establish his credentials. Not that I ever thought he needed to. I, I, I was just making comments and criticisms, you know, fully backing him to take us to the next World Cup because that's what he's going to do anyway. And people were saying, you know, he should go. Uh, we're, we're barking, you're not even, not even in any tree. So I'm just pleased for him that having taken gambles, which he sometimes is reluctant to do for various reasons, they actually came off, which is, I think, is an important thing. I tell you what, why don't we speak to Charlie Morgan because he has got some tactical input on this and also he's been speaking, well, I don't know if he's spoken to Eddie Jones, but he's certainly been listening to Eddie Jones this morning. Uh, hello, Charlie. 
Hi, Brian. I've got a couple of questions in. All right, go good. All right, all right. Don't want to get too carried away because, um, you know, England's new backline, um, it's only had a couple of outings. But what were your main observations about the way that the... Because um, I've got some some, some very... Um, Tensioned ideas about this, uh, but but I'd be interested to see what you think um, they've achieved relative to 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 what they set out to achieve. Well, I think I think they we we spoke last week, didn't we, about how it was the system that they used against Australia was sort of meant to get the most out of um, each player's kind of respective skill sets. I think that looked smoother this time. That would have been partly because of more cohesion, but partly. I just think they would, they just looked closer to the sum of their parts, didn't they? And there was yes. more clarity because players were in more familiar positions for um, a longer time. Um, and I think if you think about how they managed to do that, as well as redressing the balance when Manu Tuilagi went off eight, eight minutes in and rearranged that centre partnership and get Slade at 12, Marchant at 13, and then Max Malin's getting an extended run for the only time this this autumn, I'd say that was really impressive. And what the kind of key me- key message that Jones gave in the live part of this press conference today was that he was impressed by how we thought England actually won that game twice. And I totally agree with that. Um, and I'd actually say that on top of that, that's been something that they haven't managed to do. Maybe he used the, he used the terms it could have been easy for England to be flustered and frustrated by how that um, third quarter went. I agree with that again. And the fact that England managed to get out of that said a lot for how. Um, cohesive and calm, actually, they were. Uh, Marcus Smith, uh, he had another decent game at 10. Um, I I made the point that Courtney Law's leadership showed that whilst Farrell might well come back into the squad, no one should fear any longer, uh, aside starting without him. Because actually, I mean, I come back to this point, how different would England have been Building, being able to build a side round Mano Tuolangi for 10 years. I mean, everything works when he's at 12 and he looks better and it, it's all balanced. And then, you know, you go there and he lasts 10 minutes. Yeah, that's it. Well, it's been, it's, that's been the problem for kind of a succession of England coaches and they not being able to rely on Mano Tuolangi to stay fit. And actually, for that reason, I think the way, as I say, the way England readjusted was um, even more impressive. You're right, certainly to highlight the leadership of. Courtney Laws, Tom Curry took over the captaincy when Laws went off. Again, looked really, really calm, and especially in that, you're certainly looking up at Ibn Atzadeth at the end <laughs> in that um, in that exchange with um, referee Andrew Brace. But yeah, again, exuded that calm that was a real um, feature of how, even though they're under the pump, they managed to get through. And Smith said afterwards that they specifically were targeting this game um, for the last four weeks as all the focus has been on there. What kind of traps did they set South Africa? I, I just think, I think we're going we're to get on to kind of where this ranks in, as far as Eddie Jones' best wins, I think, later. But what you've seen from the big performances under Jones is that there's been a real precision at the beginning that of those games where you can see that something there's something that they've targeted in training and they've been working on. And I thought, well, from what Marcus said, they've been doing, they've been working towards playing the Springboks and in particular a few areas of the Springboks game, their strengths for a few weeks. And I thought at the beginning, England were flawless in the kicking exchanges. Um, they got that five-metre scrum through Ben Young's grubber after Marcus Smith had found space in the backfield. We'll talk about, I think we're talking about the scrums in a bit as well, but Richard Cockrell had mentioned in the week that 
they'd highlighted South Africa's aggressive engage to the to the refs. Sure enough, they get a free kick and then a penalty because of that exact offence. They went short from the line-out to mitigate Etzebeth and Diego and then scored from that line-out. But my favourite my favorite kind of piece of the game and, and the bit that really shone through to me that they'd been working on um, South Africa's blitz defence was, was Henry Slade's um, Rachel Burford-esque pass from first receiver. To um, Martin. Across, yeah, across yeah. to Stewart, miss, missing out, missing out, Marchant, yeah. straight across to Stewart, missing out that midfield slice that they played with, and it was they used an option they hadn't used all autumn. Now that says to me also that you can't take players at face value when they're saying they're just concentrating on the next game because for sure there were bits in England's preparation throughout the autumn that were that was um, targeting how aggressive South Africa are in that 13 channel, and you saw the effect of that in Rafi Quirk's try because. Damien Dillianda stayed stayed narrow on Slade. Marchant um, was perhaps not respected as much as a, as a running option and had that hole and was and was straight through it. It was really it was just really interesting that it felt like England manipulated South Africa with with a, with a narrative that they painted themselves. It was, yeah. it was fascinating. To watch. I wondered I wondered what happened to Am on that one. He seemed, yeah. to, he seemed to be all over the place, didn't he? He was, he was flailing at Marchant when he when he took that. And anyone who's seen Marchant play. No, he's a decent centre. Mm. Yeah. He may not be the quickest, but he is, he, he is elusive and he, and he is dexterous. I think, like Ty like yeah. was saying, that you manipulate by playing different plays and so many eyes yeah. are on Marcus Smith and staying tight and watching him as a threat that you, then you often lose what's in the front line as well. So they've definitely teed that up. They've obviously played different options to make South Africa look in on that and then picked a different one this week. Uh, this is a generic uh, question, Charlie. I mean, when I say to you, what's your main takeaway about... The way that England's style has been altered, I also mean for you to to try and address the, if you can, within that the 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 Farrell conundrum. Yeah, well, I it was in the, <laughs> it was in the embargo, so I can't I can't possibly tell you what he said until oh, right. Yeah, but I said, is it now? Is it now a case that it's three into two with um, Slade, Smith, and Farrell? Because. Um, Slade was actually playing the role that Farrell would have played, and, you, and you've got to think. I actually, I actually think Farrell would have been perfectly capable of throwing that first cut out to Stewart. I think he's a pretty good distributor. It was whether he could play, he could play the role that Slade played for the second, where yeah. he just edged around Elton Janches and sucked in Damien Delandy as well before freeing Marchant. Um, if I wrote a piece in the week that was kind of saying that Henry Slade, I think it was his forty-third cap at, at, at the weekend, and I would have thought that maybe it was only two or three performances where he'd been influential throughout the 80 minutes for England. He maybe drifted in and out of, ga- of games a little bit. It was maybe a bit unfair and England's midfield hasn't exactly been this rock solid um, thing for him to kind of um, operate within. But I thought he looked really influential in him and Smith. And what you've got to remember is that Henry Slate didn't go on the Lions tour, did he? He actually no. had those two games against USA and Canada, and he's now pl- he's now started with Smith five for five tests in a row. So that relationship has been building, and it's whether that is now the creative kind of um, the creative hub, I guess, for England's midfield in a way that Farrell and Ford were previously. Uh, just a uh, last one. I asked Rachel about the uh, where this ranks in the Eddie Jones list of uh, of wins. What do you think? I think with England, it, yeah. it, it, in a funny in a funny way, it reminded me a little bit of, of what he did with Japan and, and South Africa, in that he had the time and to kind of um, concoct a game plan and carry it out. But I'd have 
New Zealand, as, as Rachel said, had New Zealand at the top of the World Cup, then I'd have any of the test wins against Australia in Australia in 2016. Yeah. Then I thought the win in Dublin at the beginning of 2019 was fantastic as well. I'd have, I'd have this one just off that podium, mm-hmm. but still absolutely the best since the World Cup. What do you think about my, my comment? I, I said uh, the, I think as a, an overall series of results this autumn has been important for him to get reward for doing uh, what a lot of people uh, said he should do, and to be honest, what he, he might have felt himself, um, for making uh, bolder changes and, and seeing them come off. Because the worst thing would have been for him to make changes and then have him knock back and think, right, I'm going to retrench further. Yeah, well, I, I, I think that would have given him the opportunity, wouldn't it, to, to go back to the try to, to guys that he trusts and, and has tested before. But I thought before this series that actually two wins would have been fine if he'd have managed to unearth players down the spine. Now, he's managed to... Freddie Stewart looks like he's played 30 tests already. Marcus Smith looks like he's settled. Those are two positions down the spine that look like they're... Like they're you know, he's got, he's got those options now. To do that as well as winning, as you say, is is priceless because not only is he building experience, he's building confidence as well. Charlie, uh, we'll wait to see what the embargo says. Well, we'll wait to see what you say outside the embargo. Thanks very much for joining us. Nice one. Rachel, overall, I was quite prepared this time round to say the results don't matter. And I never say that. I hardly ever say that. What matters is we learn things and who can and can't play at this level. Because this is about the last time, seriously, when you've got chance for proper experimentation, you're now starting to get into the World Cup um, uh, spiral right down to the, the business end. So uh, the fact that I don't have to do that is a big plus. How much do you think the imperative of, and the bonus of keeping winning is important relative to what you find out about players? Well, I think I'm with you that, you know, necessarily this might not necessarily have been the need to win but to find out lessons, to learn about players. But when you then put the two together, that breeds so much confidence yeah. moving forward. Yeah. So then it's almost like it's not a case of, oh, we, we've found some new people, but now we've got to learn for those big mistakes that we had. We've got to try and get those right. So then that's a new bit of pressure, right? So then leading into the Six Nations, you know that you've been in tough situations as this group. We know that we've got new players and we've found a way to win. So I think having both go hand in hand and that, look, we could probably pick a lot of areas that England weren't great at and they still need to grow more depth in and, and get better skilled at. But to to come out of that series, which was building, you know, you can't say that Australia and South Africa and Tonga weren't three physical tests for them and challenging tests. They were. But he carried on ex- experimenting. He didn't just, like you say, bring in some familiar faces or start with the people that he can know and trust that can maybe pull something out. You know, he really used it as a learning experience. And then to win on top of that, I think, you know, that breeds so much confidence then for the side. And for, you know, the new players coming in, the experience around that to then have even more quicker belief and buy-in and trust to those players is, is a real... Is you know it's an added bonus really. And I just add this um, because people are forgetting this. In the background, England have got a brand new coach set up as well. <laughs> you know, underneath Eddie Jones, you've got a new attack coach, new forwards, defence coach, and so on. So they're going to bed in, and for their confidence as well, seeing their efforts fulfilled and rewarded on the field in terms of what the players have been able to do, the effect it's had on the opposition, and the result is a big fillip for them because 
uh, don't underestimate the need for them to get their jobs right as well. Well, France, what a marker they laid down on Saturday evening with a statement win 40 points to 25 victors over New Zealand. Just how good were they? Well, we're going to ask someone who should know, the former French international Thomas Castagnier. How good can this side be, the French side? Winning that game, you know, is a massive success for the French team. But I think they can do much more than what they did, you know, on that day. And uh, I think they... But uh, don't believe that this success comes from nowhere. You know, if you if, if you think about uh, where does it come from? Uh, we won the under-20 champion, world championships, you know, in uh, 18, uh, 2018 and 2019. We nearly won in England. And I, I think you remember one year ago, you know, when we lost by three points and we came with... Uh, you know, all the English journalists, you know, said that we came with the second team and yes. we only won, won against England, you know, in 2020. Yeah. And I think the depth is there, you know, in the French squad and we got some very talented players. And now, you know, with the coaches, uh, with the staff, you know, they they managed to uh, to uh, create the best of that team. And, um, and to be honest, that was probably the best game ever from a French team, you know, against New Zealand this weekend. Entomac uh, uh, was experimented with at 12 this year, but he was very impressive back at number 10 at fly half who is going to get that fly half spot which 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 of them do you think is the best option or, or will they just mix them I was involved with Toulouse in the last four years and I could see Dupont you know and then Tamak every week you know playing for, for, for the team uh, I think there's not one game where I've seen them playing badly and um, you know they, they have built their reputation you know week after week they uh, just played, you know, at the highest level, you know, at every game. And uh, in the last three years, you know, Toulouse has won the championship twice with these guys. They won the uh, European Cup. So you can believe that these guys, they got a massive experience. And definitely, of course, with Jalibert, we got a very good fly half. We've got other fly halves too who are quite good. But uh, if you really want to win a World Cup, you know, and Tamak is really key, you know, into the French team. And, um, but I think Jalibert can bring something special. And when he came on the field, you know, he has brought some speed, some um, flair, you know. But uh, and Tamak is really the kind of 10 that you want in a French team, but uh, in a very, uh, with, uh, with an English style too. He can control the game, be very clinical, but then he can be very surprising what he has done, you know, by taking this ball and uh, doing like the like Blanco, you know, in Twickenham a few years ago. You yeah. know, exactly the same. Uh-huh. He's got the confidence to do that kind of things. And that's really amazing at his age, you know, that he's, uh, he has managed, you know, to to deliver this kind of uh, this kind of game. One, one, the, the, thing, the thing that stood out for me most was the fact that, a bit like England with South Africa, you know, France raced away and then they came under pressure and the All Blacks were coming back and they were coming back. Now, in the past... The All Blacks have been able to overcome this, but France found another gear and went on again. So they did it twice. Yeah, but Brian, and, and you know more than me, you know what's, what it means to fight on the field, you know, and I think we won that game with the forwards. I think we smashed them, you know, at the start of the game. The physicality was there. Even with the backs, you know, like the intensity of the defensive line was really amazing. And, and, and during 20 minutes in the second half, you know, we just struggled because we the, the, the All Blacks, you know, came back into the game. And uh, and it was a time where we could have maybe, you know, like uh, moved on, on, on the dark side of the French team. And we managed to come back and it was really, really, you know, uh, 
not surprising when when you know the the, 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 the you know the the, the the mind of these players because I think they know that uh, they, they can you can have some hard moments during a game you know but I think you need to just like cope with that and and when things are going a bit better and that's what happened you know with Entamac taking that ball you know in his own 22 with uh, Perno you know making this intersection or from nowhere because if he doesn't do that then you can have a try on the other side but that came from the forwards and the forwards played like incredibly well you know they smashed New Zealand and I think you can we could have seen that you know in 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 their in their uh in their uh, you know um, look you know they in their eyes they they were completely lost you know on the game and during the game and and we we won the game you know by being physical and just on that um Sean Fitzpatrick told a few weeks ago that this French side should be considered as the World Cup favorites should they be many things can happen before the World Cup and uh, well you, you can you can see that we have some key players who, who could be injured like uh, Antoine Dupont but I think what is good with this squad is uh, we had four like uh, four leaders missing in the team Marchand was injured as the hooker and he's the first choice Olivon the captain was yeah. missing Vakatawa was, in, was injured Vincent, you know, the other centre was injured too. I think we have to, we have many, many players who can play in the in the team, and I think French rugby is coming back, you know, from very deep. But I think we come back strongly because we we work really hard, you know, to build young players and to develop them. And now I think it's a good time for us to you know to have the, the, the all, all the potential. But as you can see, one main thing is rugby that you need to consider too is referees, you know, because a referee can change a game from one day to the other. It depends, you know, how the rugs are really refereed and, uh, you know, like a, a decision that could be made, you know, when you see Australia versus, versus Wales, you know, things can, can be very quickly in rugby today. Uh, just, on a, just a final point, uh, Thomas. If the French are made favourites and, and everyone thinks that, is it in the French psyche, the mindset, to say, OK, we're favourites, let's just get on with it? Or are there sort of side like uh, you know, some sides who want to be underdogs, who don't want to be made favourites at any cost? Will they accept this and just say, that's the way we go? I think what you need to consider is the mentality has changed completely uh, in, the French, uh, in the French squad. We had we adapt. It took it took a long time, but I think now we adapt. You know, to the to the professionalism, and we know what are the expectations of professionalism. You know, one of the things that I've seen from Dupont when he key thing. You know, when he won the French Championship, I, I was in changing room with him, and you know, normally all these guys are really happy, exuberant, you know, drinking. All that. But this guy only said, "Okay, I won two titles." And I, you know, he asked one of the guys, Jerome Casalbo, who has won six for Toulouse. He said, "Now, as long as I didn't win six titles, you know, I, I won't have finished the job." And it's exactly the same. I think the, these guys they are on a mission, and uh, it's exactly like England in 2003 when I've seen uh, all these players, Kieran Bracken, you know, from when I was playing at Saracens, and the Leicester guys, you know, all these players who really wanted to to write history. And I think they they know they have the potential, and I. I'm pretty sure that the, the next the next six nations will be quite interesting because yeah. we receive England, we receive Ireland, and it will be very important games. But the road is still long, but we have we really have the, the potential to now make things the opponents that we can win the World Cup. Tom, everything you say is very worrying from an English point of view. 
That's what I have to say. <laughs> but, uh, Especially after the English game that I've seen this weekend, yeah. because to be honest, it wasn't really, even if you won, you know, I wasn't really convinced. Okay. Well, we will see. Mate, it's good to see you. Have a good Christmas. Have a good New Year. Merci. Well, uh, first time the All Blacks had back-to-back defeats against European opposition since 1994. Look, Rachel, they were uh, not the best, but they were at the end. I, I keep coming back to this, and it's not inconsiderable. They've been away from home for 12 weeks. Now, that is a long old time. And also, you've got to remember, they've been in bubbles within their country, uh, doing their performances you know, domestically. So it's been a very atypical year, and I think you've got to consider that. Um, but only partially. What, what do you make of, of, of the, some of the atmosphere sides as a whole throughout the autumns? Yeah, I think you're right. It has been tough for them. And being in those bubbles, then that makes being away from home. Obviously, families normally travel as well. So I think all of that does have to be come into consideration. But but the teams are so well organised that they ha- would have had preparation for this, understanding yeah. how to get through all of that. Yeah. And so I think, you know, does fatigue come in? Do you start thinking about going home when you're coming into those final weeks? I think naturally it does. And then maybe that has reflected a bit on the performances uh, in this last week for all of them. Yeah, I think because people sh- should understand, I don't think they'll be physically tired because they're very fit and they've got enough rest time when they're out. They build, that will be built in. But when you feel mentally fatigued, it does affect you physically. And there's, it's, very, it's a very strange feeling, isn't it? You, 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 the will is there, and, or maybe you want to, and, and the body just doesn't respond. So let's, let's build that in a little bit. But um, Tom, I was talking about what will be a fascinating Six Nations this year. There's such a lot going up at stake. Where, as I say, we're going into the World Cup countdown. Ireland, Scotland and Wales, they all wrapped up their autumn series with wins. Let's start about Ireland. Uh, through the month unbeaten, a bit of a new style uh, under Andy Farrell. Um, what what do you make of them at the moment? I think they've been a bit up and down. I think we've seen glimpses of um, excellence, like the Japan game was great, and then everybody's eyes were on the New Zealand fixture. And I think the way that they played in that game was with real bravery and to really take them on. And I think that really kind of shows what Ireland can be. But again, it's that inconsistency for me. Yeah, I think with, with, with Ireland, they are leading the way in this sense. I think they are starting to get in their forwards a balance between set-piece and excellence around the field. You know, the back row, Caelan Doris, who's been injured for, for a while, Conan especially is a big player for them. And whilst they've had good People like CJ Stander in the past who have been wrecking balls and, and but they've done certain things, but taking the ball into contact in different ways. You've now got players who are looking to offload players who are looking to keep the game continuous, and if they continue with that, then I think you know they are are going to get better. Well, I mean, Ireland's World Cup record is frankly disgraceful. I mean, it's poor. It really is poor, and they've never done themselves justice. They're in a group with South Africa and Scotland. So that's not going to be easy. I mean, well, let's take Scotland then, you know, um, some some positives. Uh, Jim Hamilton was saying they just need to find a bit of physicality, but that's not as easy as it's as it's as, as you're saying it, is it? <laughs> no, it's it's a in the mind, but also in the body. Yeah. And you've got to be able to, it's easy to 
throw the cliche, oh, we've got to be more physical than them, but you've got to get your body yeah. into that position, but your mind's got to be there first. Yeah. Uh, well, what, uh, Wales, very nearly only one win from four, but they needed, and Reese Priestland came up with it. I, it was a very strange end to that game. The only thing I say about Wales is they've been hampered a bit in their preparations by not having uh, certain players, injured to other players, and Wales have this, um, they're a bit like Australia. They seem to make the best of things coming up to a World Cup. Their World Cup record, whilst they've never won one, you know, is, is much better than Ireland's, is better than Scotland's, uh, and they seem to be there or thereabouts. I think the building blocks are there, but uh, this autumn series, I think, I would be more concerned if I were Wayne Pilak if they had a really bad Six Nations. Yeah, I agree, because as you mentioned, they've had a whole host of injuries, yeah. which then have a huge amount of knock-on effects, because it's not just one or two. Yeah. You know, wasn't it something like 19 of their players? A lot of them, yes. Yeah. I, I, I didn't count, but... Uh, yeah. <laughs> but and, and that really does take a, a big hammer in, because that means less time with new players who are coming in. Um, but again, to be able to, to win two of them, you know, not necessarily in comfortable style and, and potentially should have won better, but having 14 men on both against Fiji and also against Australia at the weekend, probably should have done a lot more. Um, but they do find a way. It's almost like they know how to peak at the right time. Yep. And I think for Wayne Pivak and Wales, it'll be they'll be judging themselves after Six Nations. I'll tell you another thing they have got to look at. And this is too much of a... People say, well, this is a conspiracy too far, but it's not. In every World Cup, they have had, towards the end of their um, running the World Cup, really significant injuries to quite a few players. And you can say, well, that's just coincidence, but this is happening too often. It's happened all the time. And I think someone has to look at their preparation to see if there is something they're doing before the tournaments that is affecting them in there, because everyone knows what strain they will have. But this isn't happening to other teams. And at some point, they have to take on board that, they are, that this is something that they really m- m- might consider, even though they don't believe in it. Turn to the women's campaign, which was extraordinary. They ended their autumn campaign with a huge and record win, 89-0 over the USA. Irrespective of any other factors, how impressed have you been with just them? I think they've, they have been excellent. Um, I think the first two rounds against New Zealand, they were outstanding. Um We've got a very, we've had inexperienced players, we've had new caps, he's been able to have a look at different combinations, all against playing the what are the next best, you know, the second in the world, third in the world and fifth in the world. So to be able to experiment and be able to deliver that consistent performance throughout has been really good to represent the depth that England have. Were there errors and were there areas that actually against a better side they would have struggled against? Oh, of course there were, yeah. Yeah, there was plenty of that in there as well, which is quite worrying considering they can put this amount of points on each of these teams and they probably, in every single game, left four or five tries out there as well. Let's give Simon Middleton a shout-out and his coaching team, Brett Deacon and others. I think their attention to detail was good. They verified things. And Simon Middleton, a bit like Eddie Jones, made calls which... Uh, could have been questionable. Holly Aitchison playing out of position to try and replace Emily Scarrett. Uh, moving Poppy Cleal to the second row from where she's very effective at eight. And the, and the raft of changes he made later on. And those came off. Uh, and I think he deserves credit for that because certainly he will get and probably should get stick if they don't 
uh, girl rights. But he said um, the entire women's game has obviously been proved by handing out these professional contracts. He called on other nations to follow suit. But how far away are you, do you think, from, from, from really getting that with other nations? I see. I think there's one thing just saying you need to have a contract. Yeah. Like, because yes, that's going to give you more time together. You can dedicate to it. But who are you playing? Like, the reason. What's the infrastructure around you? The reason why the Red Roses are in the position they're in now. Yes, they've got full time contracts, but the Allianz Premier 15 is a highly competitive competition week in, week out. So you're playing at that level alongside being able to train full time. Um, that's that's for me. It's the infrastructure around building into having contracts for players, not just going, oh, here we go, hand out a load of contracts. Because, again, that infrastructure filtering down, you need to have the full circle, don't you? You need to have feeding into it. You need to have that domestic competition. And I think we have to underpin how important domestic competition is in the women's game. You see, one of the ways of solving this will be to allow um, a wider competition with Welsh, Scottish and Irish uh, women's teams. But then England have no responsibility to make a success of other countries' uh, (laughs) efforts. So whilst it would be one way, for me, that would be a last resort. Because, um, but come what may, uh, this is the point I'm making, the the generation that is coming through and seeing England do well, we have to capture that some way. And we can't wait for five, six, seven years for other sides and other nations and other unions Agreed. to finance their things because all this goodwill will have gone. Yeah. Because come what may, people don't like... I mean, I, I thought it was great England winning, but I didn't want them to win by 89 points. Yeah, of course. You want it to be tight, on the edge of your seat, jeopardy. You want to be able to have... That's what draws people in. That's yeah. what gets the excitement. And, and yeah, they play fantastic, great tries. That gets everybody excited as well. However, you want to have those nail-biters. And I think... You know, England are, are developing the other nations, but they can't sit still and think, right, well, we'll put a hold on this because we've got so many English, sorry, so many Irish, Scottish, Welsh, USA, Canadians, all playing in the Allianz Premier 15. So we are inadvertently yes. supporting them already and have done for a number of years. But everybody's got to take a massive step up now. They've got to think about long-term, how do we get this infrastructure in? What do we do? Because, I mean, frankly... In the next year, that is a huge task to be able to come in. I mean, how can you see anybody at the moment beating England at the Rugby World Cup? Well, I think there are two markers. I think the next World Cup, uh, if England do well, it will sustain the thing here. I think where the next Women's World Cup is placed, if the England bid is successful, because that's a very ambitious bid, um, it's a bid which will contain a huge amount of publicity for the women's game. In the in the area in the Europe where, where actually all the money is. And funnily enough, the men's game, which has struggled to come to terms with geopolitics in rugby terms, is now going to have to go through this in, in, with the women's rugby. You know, where are the areas where the money is? And you can't divorce it from that. And these things are going to be, they're going to be very difficult things. But I think just as a basic level, let's congratulate England for their professionalism, the way they've done this, the way they've said about it, the way they've interacted with the fans after the games, you know, and it'd be nearly an hour they've been outside. I mean, is that the something that they're told to do or they do naturally? Because no, they yeah. just, <laughs> I think they do it naturally. Yeah, yes. <laughs> I just think you know they they recognise where they are right now. They recognise the fact that 
you know, times before we didn't have sellout crowds, the times before we weren't on live on BBC, and they want to maximise that, and they yep. know that they've got a responsibility to do that. Um, and, you know, I haven't necessarily noticed this over the years, because I, I don't think it really existed, but being at Six Ways at the weekend, everybody out the stand just went down pitch time. Yes. They want to see them, they want to talk to them. I mean, the girls are giving their socks away, um, I don't know who would want a smelly sock, but it's just those kind of moments live with young people forever. Yep. And that's what's capturing. And so they understand for 2025, moving the competition around, growing their audience, growing their fans is vitally important mm. to the success moving forward. Just a word about New Zealand, because they're still England's closest challengers. Losing four from four, not on the record. No, no one would have said that beforehand. How serious a blow is that? Is it terminal or...? I don't think anybody saw it come in. I think even... New Zealand not playing any fixtures or many like against any other international opposition, you'd still would have thought it would have been a tighter game. Yep. Now, I had full confidence England were going to win, and I thought France would have tested them before I've even seen New Zealand play. But would I have expected that many points to be scored against them? Absolutely yeah, no. not. And that's what you can't get your head around. Is I can completely get my head around New Zealand losing, but not by those significant yeah. markers. And, and it is a worry... For them because well we need them to be competitive in their own World Cup don't we yeah hugely. absolutely have to be and I mean at the moment people would be saying that they're not getting to a final yeah like from on the outset right now which, I, which would be not good for the tournament either down there actually no not no. at all well let's let's hope that well it's very strange wanting New Zealand to do well <laughs> <laughs> especially in their own backyard but let's hope so Why don't we have some questions before we, we tip out? A question from Bob. How do you see the up-and-coming Six Nations panning out? He makes various comments. Let's just leave it at that. I tell you, I think it would be one of the most intriguing for quite a long time because of the way that the autumns have gone. Well, look, France, Ireland, England have all um, had good campaigns. Uh, Scotland, an uneven campaign. Wales, a, a disappointing campaign for various reasons. Italy, well, they'll be where they are. How do you see it going? Uh, I think I, I'm with you, to be honest. I think France probably look hot favourites. Yeah. As Thomas said, they've got Ireland and England at home. That's a big thing. That's massive. Like Playing, playing yeah. in France is one of the most difficult, if not the most difficult place to play in. Yeah. So, yeah, I would say France are probably going in at favourites. But having said that, you know, England, I think they're just at their journey and they've got, a big old chunk of time now with a few settled areas that could really kick on. So, yeah, it's going to be it's going to be one of the ones where it's not a full blown conclusion. Yeah, which is which is always yeah. good, isn't it? Uh, one from uh, one from Toby is the Northern Hemisphere now playing better rugby than the Southern Hemisphere, and what does this mean for future World Cups? Well, this is a perennial debate. All I'd say is before we start blowing our trumpet up here, <laughs> just look at the scoreboard and see how many we haven't won. Uh, we've won one. Uh, we've been in lots of finals. So I think it's too much. I do think the gap is has closed in this sense. Um, that I think uh, the, 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 the North Hemisphere side now have the wherewithal to beat the Southern Hemisphere opponents, which hasn't always been the case. Whether they can do it when um, the Southern Hemisphere sides are rested and not on a 12-week tour is a different matter. But at least I don't have a problem with the raw material. Yeah, look, I th I think we're starting to see a bit more running rugby. Yeah, 
and I think we're we're being a bit more creative with how we're we're moving the ball. And I think that's that's been a big difference. When you've looked over watching Super Rugby, high playing ball, ball in play times higher, offloading, playing out the back a lot, moving from edge to edge. I think we're seeing a lot more of that now right. in our game. Well, combine the last two questions because one's from Derek has got saying a reasonable autumn series Scotland, but he's he's been frustrated that they seem to have gotten the wrong side of the referee early. And then Greg was making a general question about what do you make of a standard of the refereeing this autumn. Well, look, it's as simple as this. Refereeing sometimes is good and sometimes is bad. And you have to identify how the referee is going and get on the right side of him. And if you don't, that's your fault. I'm sorry, it really is. And when you look at the number of penalties... When you look at the number of mistakes referees make relative to players, it's not many. And I can't think of any game that I would say has been conclusively decided by a referee, if you look at him honestly. So, it's like that. I'm, all, I'm almost of the opinion now, unless you get egregiously bad refereeing, and I don't think there has been that, um, then it's a, it's a factor where you just have to say, look, you have to deal with it. Yeah, it, it's a challenge. I think from a player's perspective, whether it's a right decision or wrong decision or questionable one, as long as it's consistent, you can yeah. get on with it. That's the biggest thing yeah. from a playing point of view. But you're, you're spot on. Referees communicate so much now. They're literally, this is what I want from you, this is yeah. what I need from you, and you've got to be able to adapt. Yeah. And I know that might change from week to week, and that's where some of the frustration comes in from a viewer and from a player. Well, it's a different referee. Of course it's going to, because it's going to change. <laughs> <laughs> Very true. But that's the thing. You've got to be able to adapt week in, week out, yeah. like you do about whoever you're playing against. Absolutely, you've to, yeah. You've got to adapt to what they do. Yeah. Well, that's all we have time for this week on Brian Moore's Full Contact with The Telegraph. A huge thank you to my co-host, Rachel Burford, and to my guests, Thomas Castanier and Charles Morgan. If you've enjoyed this episode, you can check out all our previous episodes by subscribing or registering to the Full Contact podcast channel. A reminder, I'll be here back throughout December where our focus will shift back to domestic and European rugby but uh, from now on, it's goodbye, and thanks for being with us through the Autumn Nation series, because it's been a blast, hasn't it? Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 